Welcome to I've Got One, a podcast for the stories that define us. I'm Andy Sharavsky. And I'm Jim O'Connell. And over the next eight weeks, you're going to hear a bunch of different stories from a bunch of different people. Yeah. And the point of all this is to bring you other people's stories because we don't have all of them. Like we don't, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know what everyone's doing. You don't have a suitcase full of tails. No, I don't have. <laughs> I wish I had a suitcase full of tails. But I don't. And I think that other people do. Or they at least have one. Yeah. The the overly flowery goal or mission statement of this podcast that we don't really put anywhere publicly because it's sort of barfy is that we are hoping to inject a little bit more humanity into the universe. So we're trying to have the kinds of stories that you're listening and maybe you feel a little bit less alone or you realize that you have something in common with a voice that you've never heard of a person you've never met. I just threw up a little. Memory. All right. Okay. But I agree. Let's let's cut ourselves off here and get to the first episode. So here we go. This is episode one of the first season of I've Got One and we're really excited to share it with you. I'm Liz Joint Sandberg. I am a woman. I am a mother. I am a teacher. I am curious. I nailed it. Without thinking too much about it, could you give a, a title that sums up this story you're about to tell? I'm going to call it Ripping Off the Band-Aid. That is what I'm going to call this story. I am in third grade. I am sitting in my parents' bathroom in Mount Pleasant, Michigan, uh, which inexplicably has like suede wallpaper. I'm staring at it while I sit on the, on the bathroom countertop, shaving my legs, like in the sink. I remember so distinctly thinking about picking out like what outfit I needed to wear because it was a culture that I didn't know anything about because I was going to Christian summer camp for the first time. And kind of the next thing, the next like really vivid memory I have is being at camp on the last night, being at like a bonfire uh, in front of Lake Michigan and kind of having this gigantic, he looked like an overgrown feral Ron Weasley. This is like the the pastor that is leading this um, kind of, I don't know, religious experience for everyone. And it's something that I wasn't familiar with, but most of the children that I was like camping with understood immediately. It was like time to get saved. So it was like the most theatrical experience I had ever had in my life. It was, my life had been a journey leading to the production value of this like getting saved performance, but to them it was like not a performance, but to me I was like, damn, I don't want to be in the audience. I want to get into this. So I decide to get saved. So I think I like wrote things down on a paper and I like threw them into the fire and I walked into the water and I like all of it. It was every possible sort of symbolic act that you can do. And I just loved the feeling of participating in this.
continue then to go to church, sort of, although my parents are not on board with this, so I ride my bike, breaking a fundamental joint family rule, which is you can't cross Mission Street on your bike. But I do anyway, for the Lord. Eventually, eventually I start bringing my brother with me because I become very afraid of hell and he's the only person I care to take with me. So we start going to church. Eventually this becomes very embarrassing to my parents because we look like strange, like well-coiffed orphans, um, like just rolling into church. Like at this point, I think I'm probably in fifth grade and he's in third. So we're coming to church regularly and my parents are like, we don't understand what's happening right now. So anyway, they start coming to church and suddenly this sort of evangelical practice this um uh this this culture starts to become the culture that we are participating in as a family i became like a you know just a true believer like this was my religion i was a i was a at first i was a christian and then i was a christian evangelical and then later in my life i progressed to what i would call a christian fundamentalist Christianity is the belief that like, essentially, like God made a baby and then forced it to be a zombie so that everyone could like keep being alive, which seems kind of deeply crazy, well, fully crazy. But the idea that God made Jesus, and then uh, Jesus came and walked on physical earth and interacted with real human beings. And then Jesus was called upon to make this ultimate sacrifice at one point, which was to like, to die by crucifixion and or maybe suicide, depending on how you believe in like the triune deity of God and the Holy Spirit and Jesus. Anyway, it's very confusing, or at least it is to me now. It seemed very simple at the time. In evangelical Christianity, one of the main tenets is everything that you are and everything that you do should be done in service to, to God and to Jesus, and maybe even more profoundly to ministry or evangelism, which to this group of people means that you are using it to communicate with and sort of persuade people outside of that biome who you can barely see. They are like these shadowy others, right? They're these these like figures that are just beyond your reach, but through whoever you are, or whatever you're doing, you can kind of like reach these people and sort of in the same way that this like theatrical conversion ceremony as a third grader sort of like pulled me in, kind of duped me or tricked me into being excited about Jesus because it was, it was so beautifully wrapped that I opened it and it was like non-refundable, like this is yours now, you have to take care of it. Through high school and through, you know, junior high and elementary school, all through this time I had been dancing. I was I was dancing and starting to feel this like real sense of conflict because I was using these gifts in the secular world for the delight of secular pleasures. Which sounds like I'm like, you know, stripping for money, but really I'm like doing the nutcracker. <laughs> like, but it felt the same to me, right? Because it's like, if it's not for God, it doesn't matter if I'm like, you know, fucking donkeys or doing like the sugar plum fairy. It's like all evil.
I'm in high school now and I'm really busy in doing sort of musical theater at my school and in ministry at the church, like doing youth ministry and all kinds of like, you know, um, mission trips, uh, all kinds of things like that. And, and still uh, dancing um, at this dance studio. And how did you feel about the other um, people that like your teachers at the dance studio or the people you were in classes with? I mean, I think that's like such an interesting like focal point to put it on because that contained everything I was feeling. I like loved them and respected them while also strangely looking down on them in this very sort of like, I just wish you knew the truth because imagine how good you'd be if you knew the truth. I was both like their student and their like uh, unconsensual mentor. (laughs) They did not ask for this. Did the uh, people at the church teach you or sort of push you to to bring people in? Oh, yeah. That's like kind of the whole, that's the whole thing, um, is that once you're here, that's great. And we'll spend about 20 minutes just being excited about that. And when we are really expecting you to like find your spiritual gifts and like use those for ministry, which is all really flowery language of being like, we want more butts and seats. And really, we want more people in heaven. But like, they're the same thing. So don't worry about it. became sort of examples of different, uh, like different core values of this faith. My dad became really into like church leadership and being like, being a decision maker and a person who like solves problems and gets things done. He was what's called, I think he was a deacon for a while, which is a person who like deals with how the church spends its money. Uh, And then I think he was an, I know he was an elder for a while, which is like the, it's kind of like the board of directors of the church. They are the decision making body. I remember there being like a big debate when I was in high school about whether or not women should be allowed to be ordained as elders. And I was like, absolutely not. Um, I disagreed with this wholeheartedly, um, which is deeply crazy now. And then um, let's see, my brother uh, was in a Christian like alternative rock band, like a Christian punk band. Um, My husband was also in this band and all my ex-boyfriends. And they like toured all around the country and things like that. Um, So that was like their ministry. Everyone has like their own ministry. And then I was sort of like in this interesting place because I see people who are teachers in real life being teachers at the church. And I see people who are, you know, um, like who are cooks or who are whatever in real life. And they do that at the church. And like people who are, you know, uh, mechanics, like fix the youth group van. Okay, like what am I? Um, and I was like, oh, okay, like I'm a, I'm a dancer and I'm a high schooler. So I started a dance ministry. called Graceful um, with two L's and the F-U-L-L was capitalized. And our first uh, sort of performance or, you know, act of service was uh, this thing that we ended up doing every year called the Christmas Cantata. And it was just a perfect storm of like so many bad ideas in one place. This church had a choir that was just they were mostly um, senior citizens who sang for fun and they sang a lot to like taped music. So um, it was this whole long sort of like Christmas odyssey told through song. They asked us, this dance ministry, to like choreograph it. So we did. 
We choreographed the shit out of this Christmas cantata. We rehearsed this thing for like weeks. Things were intricate. I decided it made absolute sense to make people dance on point on a carpeted stage. We ran through the aisles. We had flags. We had like, there was, there were props. There were spectacles. I made the technical, uh, the technical director, like the person who was like running the projector slides to sing the hymns. I made that person like a lighting cue sheet. Uh, and they were like, what is this? I was like, well, this is how I want the lighting to be. And they were like, uh-huh. Anyway, so I choreographed this thing and it was like a big success and all of the women or girls participating in it. We had this great experience together. And then we got a letter. Which I will absolutely never forget from a woman in the church who I will not name in this moment. Although I think she has since probably gone to heaven or whatever happens to her. She sent us this letter about our nipples, um, like poking out. Because what I had done for costumes was I had just borrowed costumes from the dance studio where I was dancing. Because that's what made sense to me. And I was mindful about modesty. Like, I didn't choose any of the, like, you know, uh, midriff-bearing costumes. I didn't choose, like, things that were just a leotard with no, like, skirt over it. But it turns out that, like, my efforts weren't enough. Like, it was not modest enough. I just assumed that, like, a leot- as long as, like, nobody can see... As long as you got, like, the equivalent of a bathing suit on, you're fine. But this was not the case. Like, she was just, she was, like, obsessed with our nipples. Like, I think this letter, I counted in this letter, and it used the word nipples, like, nine times. And it was, like, a two-set, like, a little bifold card. And I'm, like, 15 or 16 at this point, and I'm just, like, what is happening? It didn't make any sense to me. I don't know. Because so I was just, like, well, what, what should we, like, what could we even do about that? We're dancing, and, like, we're human, and I, I, don't, I just don't know what to tell you. It's not like I'm, like, I'm not, like, trying. Like, I can't. Also, do you know how nipples work? Like, you can't make them pop out. Like, it just happens. Anyway, um, so that was just sort of, like, this interesting moment of realizing that what we were doing was in any way radical. We had a youth minister um, who, well, no, the youth minister didn't want to do this. This woman named Andrea, who's like a wonderful person, uh, she was instructed by the pastor of the church to like give us some sort of sexual education. But like it was an anti-sexual education. And it involved this woman who I have since tried to find. And her name is Pam. And she did this series of sort of like Christian educational videos about like how to avoid the devil. (laughs) like through like the terrible reality of your changing body. Um, and all I remember the most like standout memory is her role playing with herself about like you talking to her as you're like, it, this is also confusing, but like, so it's like, so it's Pam role playing with herself as both Pam from the future and you in the moment that you're like facing a sexual temptation. And I just remember her voice. I'm a backup because this is going to get so hot. She was like, but Pam! And like, that's how we sounded to her. Someone's going, yeah, but Pam, if I, if I go to my boyfriend or girlfriend and tell him I love him, I, I don't want to break up, but I don't want the sex, they'll dump me. If I won't have sex, it's over. Really, what's your relationship based on? 
It's based on sex. It's based on sex. You want to test a relationship that's sexual? Do you want to find out if they love you? Stop. Who's to say the next time you decide to put this gun to your head, it doesn't go off? Uh, and the one takeaway that I have from this is that she would always instruct people like, don't even lay down next to a boy. And I was like, oh, shit, Pam, that wasn't even on the menu for me yet. Like, and then I was like, I'm trying to do that. <laughs> oh, Pam. It continued to progress. And eventually, kind of by the time that I started college, like I remember starting college as a freshman and being like, cool, I need to really consider this course load because I am really busy at church. Like I have like a lot of, I'm probably working like, I don't know, 15 or 20 hours a week, like doing this dance ministry, not job, but like this volunteer thing. I'm like working a lot of hours every week because we have like a, you know, a three hour session for a two or three hour session for Bible study. And then there are small groups that everybody meets with. And I'm like leading one of those. And then there's rehearsal where we like actually work on the dances. I think at like the height of the company, we had like 32 people, ages, they were in like junior high school. So what is that, like 13, 14, um, to a woman who was in her 60s who was like dancing as well. Then a new youth pastor is hired at this church. And he was, he seemed extremely like cool and progressive, but I don't know if I've ever known a person in my real life who hates women aggressive, as aggressively as this man hated women. Well, it's clear to me now. At the time, I thought that he really loved women because he was like really trying to like protect our hearts, which is just a terrible way of saying like, let me tie this to your ankle, stay here for a while. As he's getting acclimated with the church and as this dance ministry is going, we start producing like a fully produced concert of dance every year. It's called Dance Night. We raise a ton of money to like run the ministry throughout the year and offer classes and, you know, buy costumes and whatever. So it's this fully produced concert of dance. We make like probably 15 dances. The dancers are choreographing and performing in things. You know, there's like a room at church where quick changes are taking place. <laughs> like it's a real it's like it's a I am like truly proud that we were able to pull this off as high schoolers I commissioned my dad to like build an actual wooden stage over the church's like carpeted asymmetrical thing and they do it like we're really doing this thing and I think this youth pastor took one look at this thing and was like no no I guess I don't even know why, but I remember distinctly this meeting that I had with him where he, he sat me down, it was just he and I, and he wanted to talk to me about the dance ministry. And I thought we were going to talk about ways that like we can partner together, but this meeting ends up being him telling me that what I'm doing is really wrong. He's like, you're making these women unmarriable through this rigorous level of like women-only discourse about the Bible. We really studied theology. I'm really proud of the learning that we were able to do in that time. I mean, I'm sure looking back on it, I'm like, cool, it's 90% lies, but this part's history, which is a pretty good ratio for Christian fundamentalists. <laughs> um, but I just remember feeling like fully shocked. And I remember in that moment being like, oh, this is what that nipple letter was about. 
Because somewhere in the middle of all of this, somewhere between like starting this ministry and doing these dance nights, I had started asking the girls and women who were dancing in this company to take band-aids and like put them over their nipples so that th- so that if their nipples got hard, they wouldn't poke out of their, at that point, they're like blousy turtleneck tops. Like, you know, we have like learned a thing or two and we don't like receiving hate mail about our very modest leotards. So let's just like fucking put a snowsuit on and get this done. So I had asked them to put these band-aids on over their nipples. And I just remember sitting in this meeting and being like, I am never going to do that again. Like never, ever, ever. And it was really the start of something for me of realizing like, oh, this is what you keep trying to tell me. Like, you don't want me here. Like you hate this. I'm curious about sort of the the falling out or if there was a fallout with the church. Yeah, I, gosh. I wish I had a better answer, but I just, I remember this, this might be totally tangential. So please feel free to cut this part. But I remember this experience where I was driving a group of the dancers that I was working with in a, in a car, um, behind, um, the van, or I guess it was like a small SUV that was carrying a number of the members of that band I had mentioned earlier that my husband and my brother are all in. So they're in this car ahead of us. I'm driving behind with a bunch of dancers who are all younger than me. And the car that the band is in um, swerves over into the other side of the lane, goes into the median, and then ends up like flipping up into the air Um, Like it is airborne now and then lands in the field on the other side of the road on the hood of the car and starts rolling and the car rolls and it lands on its wheels and we're all like screaming at the top of our lungs in the car. We pull over to the side of the road. I say I just scream like everybody stay in the car. I get out and go running into this um, field. It's really muddy. Both of my shoes come off and are stuck in the mud. So I'm like barefoot running through this muddy field toward the car, positive that all of my friends are dead. And as I get up to the passenger side window, I see my husband, and or he's not my husband at the time, but I see Nate, and he's scooping dirt out of his lap and putting it out of the destroyed window. And he says, I'm all dirty. <laughs> they had all fallen asleep and had this like terrible accident and everyone walked away, they were all fine. The car was like decimated. I don't understand how they're all okay. At the time I'm like, well, that's Jesus. Um, But I remember this very specific moment of going back to church after it had happened and watching everybody sort of rally around these guys that this has happened to. And I was sitting alone in the women's bathroom, like crying because they're all joking about it because they were asleep. And I'm the only person who like actually saw what happened. I'm also the person who like left, who's told them all to stay in the car and who like ran a half mile to a house. This because this is before cell phones, like ran a half mile to a house up the street, bang on their door at like midnight and then call, you know, call the emergency services and then call all of their parents to tell them, like, you know, they're okay, this is the hospital that they're going to, like, whatever. And I'm, like, watching this congregation, like, rally around these people and, like, leave me alone crying in the bathroom. And I'm just like, okay, I see what this is. I'm done. Like, this is not 
who I am. Like, I'm always going to be the person that runs to the car and that runs to the house. I'm always going to be that person. But I will be damned if I am going to surround myself with people that leave me alone in a bathroom while they take care of people who are fine. So I, that was just like this moment of realizing like, oh, this place is never going to love me and it's always going to use me and use me in this very kind of like hateful, oppressive way that's never going to allow me to flourish. Also, they hate all my gay friends. Also, they think I'm not in charge of my body. I mean, there are so many larger political realities of it, but ultimately it was that moment of like crying alone in a bathroom and finally realizing like, oh, this is what this place does. Okay, this is not for me. I don't belong here. I sat down with all of the dancers and said, I love this. I love being together with you. I love making these dances. I still think God is real. Like I, I, the religious element of it, I was like, I still believe all of these things. These people are just doing it wrong, which like is every Christian's favorite activity to be like, here's what I believe. And I'm the rightest. Um, so I sat with them and I was like, okay, I don't, I'm not going to do this like dance ministry anymore, but I want to keep doing the work that we're doing. Do we want to become a dance company? And it was a hard conversation because some, some of the girls were like, absolutely not. Like I'm only interested in dance ministry. And some people were like, oh, thank God. Like I'm gay. Um, Some people were, you know, people were kind of all over the place. Um, but we ended up creating like a, a, dance company. We changed the name. It became Think Dance Collective was the name of the company. Uh, In that same time, the dance studio where I had grown up dancing was about to close. And I was graduating college. And I was like, I I had gotten married in the meantime, because that's what you do when you're in a relationship as a Christian fundamentalist, like you get married. Um, So I'd gotten married um, during that time. And I turned to um, Nate, uh, my husband, he was still my husband. I turned to him and I was like, I think I'm going to buy this dance studio. And he was like, okay. Like, no, that was like the extent of our conversation about it. So he was touring with his band on the road, um, that same band who had kind of undergone something kind of, I think, less traumatic, but very similar, where they just like stopped being a Christian band and started being a band. Funnily enough, in Christian fundamentalism, the idea is that you commit to the marriage, not to each other. Like you commit to the third thing that you're making and not to like, I'm always going to feel this way or about you or I'm always going to treat you this way or I'm always, I mean, there's some of that, but like the main thing is you go into it knowing that like marriage is hard. Um, so I feel like we, strangely enough, he was 20 and I was just 21 when we got married. I was his youth leader for a year. I mean, it is a bad idea to marry. No, was he 20? He was 19. I'm a liar. Nate was 19 when we got married. Like, don't marry a teen. Um, But I'm very fortunate that it worked out. Um, And I think like, I think the great gift that Christian fundamentalism gave our marriage is the idea that we are working on like, we're building this third thing together. Um, So you become whoever you need to be to serve that third thing, which also kind of like leads you down a path of being like, you could be married to almost anybody if you can work hard enough at it. And if you can kind of, if you're flexible enough with who you are. So 
like we just kind of kept looking at each other and making these micro adjustments to be the people that we needed to be to sort of keep participating in our marriage together. And I think that because of that, strangely like because of this fundamentalist tenet, we were able to leave fundamentalism pretty gracefully. Like there weren't any, I don't think we ever had any like disagreements about it. I don't think we ever had any sort of like, well, if you don't believe this, we can't be together. Even though that absolutely would have been true. Like if one of us had left fundamentalism, even like a, a short time before the other, I think we would probably be divorced because it's just so essential in that religion that like you care about this same thing. And now he's an atheist and I'm sort of like, I believe in something. Like I, I believe, I use the words of like my favorite philosophy professor, Hope May, who when pressed on this issue would say, I believe there's something going on. And I used to feel so sorry for her and like write long journal entries about like how much I just wanted her to know this piece and whatever. But now I say the same thing because I think it's the most true way to say what I believe. I believe there is something going on, which is like the most I can really possibly say about like, I don't, I have no idea what I think about like who Jesus was. Um, it seems unreasonable to me to imagine that there's like a religion that like some people get the good part and some people get this like terrible nightmare scenario. Like I, I don't think hell is a real place and I don't know what happens after we die. And honestly, I don't really care. Like I don't have access to it. It doesn't matter to me. It's not governing the way that I live my life. But I do, like the funny thing is that in the most like, in the moments that I probably would have been most afraid of when I was living in Christian fundamentalism, in these moments that are like so deeply secular and um, and human, uh, I feel like those are the moments where I, I feel this like kind of incredible like bigness of the universe and bigness of living and life. And that feels like something spiritual to me. I hope that these words connect with real ideas in the world. They seem like they make sense in my mind. <laughs> sort of like that uh, that way of life is that like that is the practice you develop mm -hmm. like I have never been as introspective and as sort of like disciplined with my own behavior mm -hmm. as I was when I was a Christian like before Nate and I decided to start dating we fasted for like days and days and like you know just to make this decision that in seemed order to decide to in order dating. to decide if we were going to date or not because you can't just date in that culture you're essentially saying like 
he's like, you know, he gets in my car. I think we're going to go pick up people. And he's like, I want to have a conversation. Like, I, I think that I would like to, you know, work toward marriage with you. Sure. New idea. Like, that's the <laughs> intro. That's your wow. opener. Is wow. saying, like, let's keep dating toward the goal of getting married. So, like, you're not even dating. You're just sort of waiting. Like, you've made a decision. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's bizarre. I'm remembering now. God, this is scary. Uh, <laughs> thinking about in college, I had, like, sort of a, a, a Catholicism relapse of, like, feeling immense guilt. Yes. I hadn't really done that thinking until, like, this was, like, junior year of college. All of a sudden, I was like, wait, I've been, like, drunk. <laughs> a lot. And, like, hooking up with girls and stuff. And I went back and I like, went to a confession, which I hadn't done in years. And, like, told this priest this. And told this priest, like, I don't even know, some sort of dialed down version of what right. actually happened. I kissed a girl and I, I smoked a cigarette. And, 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 <laughs> and he, and he gave, or maybe I was fairly honest, because I think I was going through something. And I remember sitting on, like, like, after that, like, just, like, shaking and being, like, oh, like, and still feeling yeah. that mm -hmm. sort of, like, relief mm -hmm. of being, because of, like, being able to, like, tell someone that. Yeah. And then shortly after that. I was like, he gave me like three Hail Marys. And I was like, oh, you don't fucking care. Yeah. <laughs> you don't like, this oh. This isn't going to cure this. It's, it's in the heart of the college campus at Uni University of Wisconsin. Like, he's seen so much shit, I'm sure. I'm sure this priest is just constantly absolving sex sins. I'm sure. And I remember after that, I was still feeling like shocked. And I like went on like a hill somewhere and just like cried. <laughs> and I was like, because I was like, wait, what is going on? Why am I back here? And like, I thought I had left the center, uh, and then I returned to the center, and the center's not a center. Yeah. Like, oh, this God. This is not what I remember. This isn't giving me the release. I'm yeah, and it, it never did. No. Yeah. But I thought maybe there was something to it, right. because that's how I was, like, raised, and I yeah. need to go back sure, to it. Exactly. And then I just, like, stopped going. Thank you for listening. Yeah, thanks, guys. And thanks a lot to our storyteller this week, Liz Joyne Sandberg. Thank you, Liz, for having coffee with us and sharing your story. And there will be more next week, episode two. So, uh, you know, if you are if you liked this and you want to listen to the next one, please do so. If you really liked it, tell somebody else about it. And if you didn't, we're fine with that. Yeah, we're totally fine with that. We don't need to be liked by everybody. Definitely not. So... Follow, subscribe, like in all of the places that the internet tells you to do all of those things. And we will be back next week with another episode. I've Got One is supported by... Nobody. Financially, but hopefully all of you emotionally. 